Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The sport is just going to die if they don't break the designated hitters of the National League. We got fresh frozen <laughs> strawberry margaritas, and Terry's bringing us chips and salsa all night long. Nick's hips do not lie. <laughs> yeah, I got a MF wagon. Like, <laughs> let's be real. <laughs> the Washington Nationals are the world Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Half Street High Heat. You can find them wherever your podcasts are downloaded or sold. With me, as always, is Ray Knight. Uh, Johnny, I think this is going to be a great episode. I do. They're going to talk baseball, Johnny, and the baseball is the reason they talk and what they talk about. I think that's important to talk about baseball, and if you're a baseball podcast, you're going to end up talking lots of baseball. Well, that's awesome. Thank you very much, Johnny and Ray. Bob Carpenter with you here, and now... Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of Half Street High Heat, presented to you, as always, by Manscaped. Thank you for joining us. You guys are the best. We appreciate each and every one of you. I'm Amanda, and I'm joined with just one of my co-hosts today. My mellifluous co-host, Ryan, will be joining us. Nick is unavailable this evening. Please make sure you check us out on Twitter and follow the show there at Half Street High Heat. And don't forget to check out the website, halfstreethighheat.com, for all the latest news, announcements, and articles. How you doing, Ryan? Doing well. Um, does that like mean like Maleficent, like the Disney movie? Is that it's what that is? a little different. Mellifluous is the word. It means sweet-sounding. Isn't that oh, nice? That's a good one. You got to save all the good words for when Nick isn't here. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, I think mel, mel is the Latin word for honey. So I think I'm pretty sure it comes from the Latin. I'd have to look it up. Interesting. Malia yeah. Lewis. Life, life is good. It's summer. Um, the weather was pretty nice. Well, after it stopped raining. But yeah, things are great. Can't complain in the summer. No, I do love the summer. And actually, I love it when it rains because it means I don't have to go out and spend an hour watering all the crap in my garden. <laughs> so every day it rains is a good day in my world. Because I'll tell you, I have a lot of garden beds. It actually takes a lot of damn time to go out every single day and deal with the garden. Yeah, you got a forest back there. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff. I planted a lot of beans today. That was really exciting. Okay. Any legumes? Yeah, beans are legumes. Ah. Yeah, and uh, I planted lots of beans and um, potatoes, more potatoes today, because Lord knows I didn't plant enough of those already. But I had a bag of them in my pantry that went, like, they started to sprout. Yeah. So I just, I have, like, last year, I I didn't have a potato bed last year, so I grew them in trash cans. That's the thing Mm. people do, like, trash can potatoes. Hmm. Anyway, so I had one of the trash cans from last year just sitting there. So I said, these these old ass sprouted potatoes are going in there. So we'll see what happens. That's the exciting thing that happened in my world today. Yeah. Well, I like it. Who says parenthood's boring? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyways, 
let's get to our quick pitch, which this week is um, about the Yankees and the Angels, both of whom have a record of 33 and 32. Obviously, the Yankees were expected to be an excellent team this year, and they have been sorely disappointing to people who like the Yankees. I hate them, so it's been great for me. But um, the Angels did not have any such lofty expectations, and they are now through, what are we at, 55 games at the same record. So who's better? Is it that the Yankees are as bad as the Angels, or are the Yankees as good as, or are the Angels as good as the Yankees? The Yankees stink. And it's really funny because Yankee fans don't know how to deal with adversity whatsoever. Like every single day, the replies are fire Cashman, which by the way, they fire Cashman, find a way to hire him. He's a fantastic GM, like fire Aaron Boone, cut this person, get rid of Stan. And I'm like, y'all are 33 and 32. Like their offense stinks. They've won the worst offenses in baseball, which is really funny. One of, but I'd kill for a 33 and 32 record right about now. Literally, I I just want to be above <laughs> 500. It's been a really long time. Um, but the Angels are really surprising right now. They're 8 and 2 in the last 10. They've won 6 in a row without Mike Trout, which is really fascinating because Anthony Rodon is struggling as well. Shohei Otani's starting to not walk people. So, I'm going with the Angels are as good as the Yankees because Yankees suck, and their offense is absolutely terrible. And DJ LeMayu has, I think, like less than five extra base hits or something like that. So maybe it was a blessing that he went back there and we didn't get him like we all wanted. Oops. Yeah, maybe it's the fact that Rendon is struggling that makes it so surprising to me that the Angels are as good as they are and the fact that they're without Trout right now. But you you didn't really have high expectations for the Angels to begin with and to see them not, you know, with some, without some of their key pieces and still, you know, eight, eight of their last 10 is pretty impressive. I'm, I think Rendon just got to 200 on his batting average with today's game. So he's having a really, really rough season. Very not Rendon-like at all. It makes me wonder if he's injured. He's been injured since he's been there. He has not been pitching. I mean, sorry, not pitching. He has not been playing very well. So all the people are like, we should have signed Rendon. He's not doing much better than Strauss has been doing. Can you imagine if Brandon were still here and we're hitting in like the 180s and up 200? Oh my the, the god! The caterwauling. I don't. I don't, don't want to picture that. That'd be. That's good. That's good drama, though. Yeah, it would be. I do know that you like good drama. <laughs> I I do love drama. Yeah, so I'm gonna go with the opposite. I think the Yankees are as bad as the Angels. I think the Angels are better than expected, but they're not contenders. They're not. You know, they're not going anywhere this year. But uh, yeah, neither are the Yankees. But the Yankees, everybody, including, I believe, all of us, if I all remember three back of us. to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All of us thought that uh, the Yankees were going to win the East, and they're dreadful. So I'm, I'm enjoying being wrong, though, because as aforementioned, I loathe the Yankees. So, yeah. Interesting thing. It'll be fun to watch it play out and see what happens. It would be actually fun if the Angels did get to the playoffs because I would sure love to see Trout and Natani and Rendon and all those guys in the playoffs. Yeah. We, it's gonna happen. we deserve it as baseball fans, which means we won't get it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. Let's move on to the weekend review. Yes, it was another, another fun weekend for baseball. Um, MLB is finalizing the memo about illegal substances on baseballs, and they're expected to send that out to teams in the next coming days. The judge denied a third-party uh, request, excuse me, lawsuit to bring back the Major League Baseball All-Star game to Atlanta. 
that was denied in the All-Star game will stay in Colorado. 22 MLB teams have officially hit the 85% threshold of being vaccinated as of yesterday. Blue Jays hit eight home runs against the Red Sox today, and Vlad Jr. hits his league-leading 21st. Tatis Jr. hits 18, which is absolutely incredible on a go-ahead grand slam as he has missed significant time is still among the lead leaders in stats. A poor Red Sox reliever gave up 11 earned runs today to the Blue Jays. The Angels have won six straight games. The Yankees, as mentioned, are fourth place in the NAL East. The White Sox are the hottest team in baseball, and the Rockies are 5-27 and on the road this season. <laughs> but... This week in review, we honor the pitchers for some unreal achievements this week. And by pitchers, I mean Jacob DeGrom. Um, he reached this week, he had an unreal week. He reached 100 strikeouts in 61.2 innings pitch. That's the fastest any pitcher has ever reached 100 strikeouts since MLB moved the mound to 60 feet 6 inches in 1893. Jacob DeGrom's ERA of 0.56 is the lowest ERA through 10 starts in MLB history since... ERA became an official stat in the 1900s. Um, his ERA plus is 625. The MLB average is 100. It is Minjun. He has more RBIs than earned runs. He now has the highest war amongst all players, dating back to 2018. On another hand, Clayton Kershaw is off to the worst start of his career. His ERA is 3.66. That's right. 3.66 through, I believe he has 11 starts, is the worst start to his career. That's the worst? Good grief. That is the worst start to his career. To the NL East, in fifth place are the 27 and 35 Nationals. They went 3-3 three and three on the week, but more on them in a second. In fourth are the 29 and 36 Marlins. They took 2-3 from the Braves, and up next they have the Cardinals. In third place are the 30 and 33 Braves, who honestly just suck. Um, Acuna left today's game with an injury that was described as precautionary measures, but it's okay. Things get better. The Braves have to play the Red Sox next after they just dropped 2-3 to the Miami Marlins. In second place are the 32-31 and 31 Phillies. As I said before, when things are going bad, you just have to play a team that's worse than you. And for the Phillies, that was the New York Yankees as they swept the Yankees up in Philly this weekend. Up next is another big series for them as they play the Dodgers. In first place are the 32-35 and 35 Mets who took 2-3 from the Padres and were a bullpen meltdown away from sweeping them this weekend. Their schedule continues to be tough as they have a four-game set with the Red Hot Cubs, which is certainly almost an October matchup. This week in review has been brought to you in part by your local neighborhood Chili's. Stop on by and get yourself the June $5 Margarita of the Month. This month's mark is the Sangria Rita. It's swirled up with a house-made sangria mix featuring Grand Marnier, 14 Hands Merlot, and Monin Blackberry Syrup. Make sure you get yourself one. Nick got one this weekend and said it was the best thing he has ever had. He said, quote, can confirm, it's fantastic. Make sure you guys get yourself one as well. This has been your Week in Review. All right. Well, there's a lot going on. Uh, the foreign substance stuff I'm already sort of bored of talking about, but of course it is obviously the biggest oh thing in baseball. It won't but go away. <laughs> I, well, it's not going to go away. And I know. It, but I don't know. I, I'm actually kind of fascinated to see what this memo actually says when it comes out. And I wonder how much just self-policing goes on from guys who don't want to get caught and suspended and ruin their reputations and all of that stuff. So. I don't know. I mean, we talked before about how we're going to be able to know by the performances and the, the spin rates who was using it and who wasn't. 
but um, it's definitely going to be, didn't, I think, didn't Bauer's spin rate, I read something yesterday, I forgot Ooh. to write it down, didn't Bauer's spin rates, uh, I think they're down on all but one of his pitches, like significantly down. Yeah, so if you guys are wondering, how can I tell if a pitcher was using the spider sense or whatever it's called? Spider tack. Spider tack, yes. If you want to know, look on a pitcher's baseball savant and go to their last start. It tells you the RPM per pitch. Zero to 100 difference is normal. That's considered sunscreen and rosin. If it's 200 up, like 150 up, 200 up, that's when they're using spider tack. So you can tell pitch by pitch. And some dudes are down like 400. Bowers was down like way, way, way a lot on his fastball. And he's getting lit up. So that's how you guys can tell. Go to Baseball Savant and you guys can basically tell what substance pitchers have been using while they've been pitching. I got to tell you, I have sort of a love-hate relationship with Trevor Bauer. Like he cracks me up sometimes. And I agree with a lot of the things he says, but he's just such an insufferable douchebag that it's hard to like him if he didn't have a twitter he would be so much more likable oh sorry oh let, me, let me rephrase that if he didn't act like such a douche on twitter he'd be so much more likable for sure for sure but i uh i think it's hysterical that he secured the bag he's making 40 plus million dollars a year and he basically told everyone years ago he was going to start using foreign substances because everybody else was and then he did it and became one of the best pitchers got paid and now he's not going to use them anymore and not pitch anywhere near what he was earning and i respect the hell out of it yeah that that took away jacob de going for four straight scions yeah yeah exactly yeah it's just an interesting situation but he he basically made every he, he's told everybody all along that he was going to do it and then he did it and now it looks clearly like he's not doing it anymore and just completely fleeced the dodgers I'll allow it. <laughs> I know. I love it. I love it. All right. Let's get to the Nats bat. Um, the Nats went three and three this week. Um, you split the series with the Giants, which is better than I, frankly, better than I expected. Um, yeah. The pitching was phenomenal. The offense, as ever, sucks completely, but the pitching was really impressive. Yeah. Um, like we said, they went three and three in the week. Going into the series, I was looking at the Giants, and I was like, this team is an absolute fraud. I didn't think the Giants were nearly as good as their record indicated. I thought they were playing well above their means. And this weekend kind of confirmed it. Like, yeah, they got a couple guys who are hurt, but they're just like, I don't know. I, I think they're absolute frauds, and they kind of showed it. They scored three runs all weekend, and the Nats split the series. And the Nats got pretty lucky to be honest with you because if the Mets won today and swept the Padres the Nats would have been eight and a half back and they would have dropped a game and a half after going three and three that would have that would have hurt pretty bad after you feel pretty good you split series with the Giants and the Rays and you dropped a game and a half now they still dropped half the game but that would have hurt badly and they got pretty lucky that the Mets bullpen had a complete other meltdown today blessed but you got to start winning games. You can't keep playing 500 ball. You have to keep winning games. And now Max is hurt. He has a groin issue. Um, he said he felt a slight tweak in it when he was at the 12 pitch mark. And you could see him. You could see the pitch where it happened. You could see yeah. the grimace on his face. He was he was stretching it out. Um, you could tell he was a, not comfortable. He said he hopes he can avoid the IL. It's going to depend on how his bullpen session goes today. So 
yeah, I mean, that... We'll probably know tomorrow, because they're going to put him on the IL tomorrow if the bullpen session didn't go well today, I would think. Yeah, like, that's that's what we're going to find out. And that one's going to be pretty, pretty big, because the other two pitchers suck. John Lester and Patrick Corbin stink, but we got to give a special shout-out to Eric Fetty and, and Joe Ross. Joe Ross, my goodness, wow. they of have course, been... Of course, when Nick's not here, Joe Ross has his best outing of his career. That's his right. guy, and he, he has his best outing of his career. Yeah, it was a really impressive. Eight scoreless today. He looked dominant out there. I um, really that. didn't expect to see him. <laughs> oh, I did not expect him to go eight shutout today because, like, he started off strong, but we've seen a lot with Joe Ross. He goes three shutout in the fourth inning. He can give out six runs. We've yeah. seen that quite a few times, but it never happened, and – I saw a couple stats because I really want to point this out. Um, over Joe Ross's last five starts, his ERA is 2.02. Wow, I didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. And since May 16th, Joe Ross and Eric Fetty have combined for a 1.40 ERA with 38 Ks and 26 hits allowed and 38 innings. Damn. Which is rather just like, I, I can't understate how important that is because like we we're saying patrick corbin's having his issues joe um john lester can't get out of the first inning without throwing 35 pitches he's having his issues to have your young gun guys who are supposed to be your five and maybe your six basically outshining your entire yeah they're rotation. basically more like your two and three right now. literally yeah because like strauss is out and you needed someone to pick up the slack especially when you're like not scoring you need guys to pick up the slack massive massive shout out to Joe Ross and Eric Fetty, phenomenal, phenomenal. Honestly, like I've I've never said phenomenal on this podcast before. I don't think I have, but the way they've been pitching lately is fantastic. Yeah, and the fact that it's a surprise, and the fact that it's not, it, it's more than you expected to get. Like if if Max and Strauss are pitching phenomenally, then you're like, yeah, it's awesome that they're pitching like that. But you kind of expect it from them. Like you don't expect it from Ross and Fetty. And, uh, yeah, it's been a huge boon. And I have to just in general, but I don't know. I should have looked at that before we started the, the team ERA right now. Um, just, you know, the team ERA for the starting rotation and for the bullpen. But the pitching, by and large, I mean, obviously there's been meltdowns here and there, as there always are through a season. But by and large, the pitching has been has been good. And if this lineup were just even a semblance of what, they were expected to be this team would be in a whole different situation than they're in because they this weekend what did they give up altogether three runs three runs and two of them are earned but what's funny about that is because coming into sunday's game the nats scored three runs in three games i think there's like two one oh games which is absurd it should not be like that at no. all it should not. And the fact that Max went out on the 12th pitch in the first inning and it, you, the bullpen had to come in and play basically the entire game and they didn't give up a single run. It was unbelievable. Or no, they gave up one was the, that was, they gave up one. I think they late lost in the one game. after that yeah. game. Yeah. It was but late still. in the game though. Was that the home run? I think it was Brandon Belt. I think so. Yeah. Okay, anyway, so. or Crawford maybe. But yeah, so, but they went through, I think it was the eighth inning though. I didn't get to watch that one because I was working. So I was listening to it on and off on the radio. But yeah, I mean, it was an unbelievable performance. And the fact that your bullpen can come in and give you that kind of a performance and you can't score one freaking run to keep yourself in that game is just infuriating. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. And I looked it up for you. So 
Their starting pitcher ERA is 21st in baseball at 441. Their bullpen ERA is 15th, um, and they have a 3.97 bullpen ERA. So I was looking that up. I would have expected that to be better. The eyeball test makes it seem like that. They've had they've had some really really bad starts from the yeah, starting pitchers. That kind of skews that number. It's a lot. it's going to take a little bit while for it to come down. But yeah, the offense um not been good. But again, more surprise pitching. Um, Jeffrey Rodriguez is back and he pitched incredible. He went four innings, one hit, zero earned runs, yeah. three walks, two Ks, four innings. Literally, they're like, hey, dude, um, the game starts in two hours. Go get him, champ. And he pitched really, really well. Yeah, that was a surprising one, too. I felt like there, there were a lot of really surprising performances this weekend in a good way for a team. No, it's like, it's just the same things with this team. When the pitching is there, the offense isn't there. When the hitting's there, the pitching isn't there. It's true. It's just that, they so just frustrating. Can't, they can't put it all together for some reason. Oh. It is frustrating. Well, speaking of hitting, let's talk about Schwarber, who had quite a day today. Uh, two home runs, four RBIs. Um, four of the five today were on off of uh, Schwarber's bat. Three home runs over the weekend as the leadoff hitter. So interesting tweak to the lineup that, that Davey made here, having him bat leadoff, which he did some in Chicago, mm-hmm. but hasn't really done much of here. So what are your thoughts on both his performance this weekend and him in the leadoff spot. Yeah, I mean, it was really kind of surprising, you know. He single-handedly outscored the Giants all weekend long (sighs) with his four RBIs today. And it's one of those things, when he got moved up there, like he hit leadoff in Chicago. At the time, I was like, this kind of reeks of desperation. But at the same time, the team is desperate. And if it works, yeah. Keep it going. I'm he okay just, to appear desperate at this point. Desperate times call for desperate measures. Yeah, like now the Nats have the third most leadoff home runs because of him, because um, in baseball, because of him. Like, if it's working, go do it. If he's working counts, even if he's striking out, like if he's striking out on like seven or eight pitch at-bats to start the game, that's a successful at-bat to start the game. Mm-hmm. Yes, he struck out. But and he you walked made the today. Run. Exactly. If he can see pitches get out there and if he had a bomb or two to start the i mean well bomb or two but like if he hit a bomb to start the game that's fantastic like if it's working run it out there i would like to see them go soda two but i know davy likes the left right left but hey if it's working ride it yeah i i agree i don't hate it at all seeing him in leadoffs but i do feel like when i watch those bombs come like i wish he were doing that with runners in scoring position um as opposed to lead off but if if hitting up there is causing him to feel more comfortable or changing his approach in a way that's causing him to be more successful, then let's just do that. This team needs all the help it can get on offense. So if you found a formula that is leading to more offense, then leave it alone. <laughs> Retweet that. <laughs> all right. Robles with the base running errors. I just can't. It makes me so upset when he makes a stupid bonehead base running mistake. Yeah, so in case you guys didn't see, um, it was in the eighth inning, which was extra innings. There was first and second, no outs, and he tried to tag up on the ball, hit to right center field. The thing is, he was safe, but I don't know what happened. I think he just slid too late. He overslid the bag by like a good, I don't know. Uh, Ten feet? <laughs> <laughs> Literally, I mean, he, 
Holy flew <laughs> overslid the bag. Overslid doesn't even like he he went past the bag. It was like yeah. he thought the bag was ten feet past where he was. Homie, homie flew, and then he like tried to get a rundown, and like Starlin Castro was like, you could tell he was like, what are you doing? But was trying to keep it together. Yeah. So I have a lot of thoughts on this. At first, I was annoyed. I was like. You can't make that mistake, but it's also one of those things. If he's safe, everyone's going to love it. Um, He keeps making these base running errors, and it's frustrating. Yes, he's young, but these keep happening. He's not that young. He's 24, you know, but he's been in the league for, I think, I think this is fourth year now. Um, But this is one of those things where it's like, Davey keeps saying you're talking to him. Obviously, it's not working. But here's my biggest concern with this. So... When you have a team that can't score runs consistently, when you're losing one nothing, and uh, you just got no, no, they lost. Sorry, that was a game that got shut out. Excuse me. When you're losing one nothing, and your team consistently has to fight the score, guys are gonna start trying to do too much. Guys are gonna try to be too aggressive on the bases. They're gonna be swinging out pitches out of the zone because they know this might be our only chance to score. Guys are gonna try to go above and beyond who they are and do too much because you can't score. That's one of the down. That's one of the downsides of it. It's like when you can't score, your pitchers go out there knowing they have to be perfect and they start pressing and they start making messing up. It has the same impact on offense and base running, and I think that was one of the situations where Robles was like, I got to get in the scoring position because we may only get a single here, and I can score in a single. So I honestly understand the thought process of it. I just wish he, you know, didn't, didn't over slide so back. hard. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I like the attempt. I understood what he was trying to do there. It was a, an aggressive play. I like it. Um Dude, learn how to slide, please. <laughs> yeah, see, here's my thing is I like it from somebody who knows how to run the bases and doesn't make mistakes on the base paths. I don't like it from Robles because Robles makes all kinds of boneheaded decisions on the base Agreed. paths. And if, for him, he should have just stayed where I mean, to me, stay where you are. If there's nobody out, you've got a situation where maybe we can get some runs in. I understand there's a lot of times like I don't want to get into the talking about with the bases loaded. <laughs> an inability to drive in a goddamn run but i just don't I, with robles as many times as you've made errors on the bases just i don't i don't get how you think it's a good idea to try to be aggressive when you've screwed it up so many times and i think that you keep you talk, mentioned davies so i gotta talk to him about it the talk should have been don't do a goddamn thing on the base <laughs> You know Stay funny? where you are and run when somebody gets a hit. Like, I, I don't trust Robles to make good decisions on the base path. Davey said when he was asked about that in Tampa, there was a situation where they thought he should have tagged up from first, but he didn't. So I kind of feel like maybe they're like, hey, why didn't you tag up then? And that was fresh in his mind. Like, the team wants me to tag up, and so he went. So I kind of feel like maybe they're having yeah, too many conversations with the guy. Um but like I said, the only po- the only conversation I would have with him is you don't do anything. You don't think. Go when somebody <laughs> hits the ball. Don't try to make any decisions because he doesn't make good decisions. This yeah. isn't like meant to be an insult. Lots of guys don't have the you know like Trey Turner has the he has the go ahead steal when you want to steal most of the time. I'm sure like he makes good decisions on the base pass. He knows what he's doing. He's a good base runner. Robles is not. I would not give him any rope whatsoever you know, for, for yeah. decisions on the base pass. He just, yeah. it's infuriating. Like how many times, I don't even know, you'd have to go back and count them. Like how many times <laughs> in the last two years have we seen him make an idiotic decision 
And when you're struggling, it's highlighted even more. When you're struggling to win games, when you're underperforming as a team, when you are vastly underperforming, I should say, this team front office did not expect them to be where they are right now, clearly, it's highlighted even more. When you are trying to find a way to steal games, these mistakes hurt. You cannot be making mistakes like this. It, like, it's one of those unfortunate things. It's also another thing where it's like, well, maybe you shouldn't, you know, not have any runs or like only have one run at that moment. Yeah. It's just, it's a culmination of things that is just adding up that we're now seeing guys all over this team are trying to do too much. And it's really unfortunate. Yeah. And if you're scoring five runs a game, then, you know, that the one run you maybe lose by making a mistake and getting it out you shouldn't get on the bases is still annoying, but not as big of a deal. But on a team where you might only get one run if you get any that day, like you just can't. It can't happen. It can't happen. Yep. And it, it keeps happening. And and there doesn't seem to be, I saw OPT tweeted like that should warrant a benching for tomorrow. And obviously he had a nice game today, but it should have, in my opinion, like there should be consequences. There should be some accountability for people who don't perform, whether you make mistakes or whether you're just, you know, completely not living up to what you should offensively. Like there have to, there has to be some accountability on this team. And it feels to me like there isn't. Well, the, what I do like is that he was like, yeah, we're just going to have a talk about it. And he left it at that. As we know, Tony La Russa called out. Yeah. So like that. Yeah, was I don't want to see it all. It. Yeah. It, yeah. I wish he was more. I wish he came down on him harder, but I wish that we didn't know the details. Like yeah. we don't need to know, but something else needs to be happening because whatever this talk is that they keep happening clearly isn't helping. <laughs> uh, <okay>. Anyway. <laughs> oh, Victor. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk Pirates. Pirates is our next opponent Thank uh, interview today that you got to do. Tell us about it. Yes. So special guest, Monty, who is now on the pod sometimes because he's been on the pod four times. Um, Monty and I sat down and we did a really good interview. Um, sorry, my mic cut there for a second. We did a really <laughs> great interview with someone from the fan-sided network, for the Bucks, um, we talked all things Pirates. We talked about the upcoming series, what we can expect from them, what we can expect from the starting pitching, what's going right for them. Spoiler alert, there's not much going right for them. Um, then we also talked about the draft and basically everything Pirates. I learned a lot about the Pirates from this, a lot about what they're going through with the rebuild. And we also asked some pretty fun questions in there about what to expect when your team's underperforming. How do you have fun with this? That was a pretty relevant conversation right now. So we hope you guys enjoy. What's up, everyone? We have two special guests on the pod right now. We are first joined by Trey Yandy, host of Run, Run Bunter Radio. You guys can find him on Twitter at Trey Yandy. And make sure you guys follow Run Bunter on Twitter to keep up with all the latest news. Pirates, uh, Trey, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, guys. Thanks for having me on. It's um, you know not too many people nowadays want to want to talk about the Pittsburgh Pirates, but uh, <laughs> I'm yeah, I mean it's it's been a fun season. But like I said, we have a a second special guest. We are joined by Monty. Uh, Monty's filling in for Nick and Amanda, so just going to introduce so you guys aren't too surprised when you hear Monty's voice. But yeah, I mean it's it's been a rough season for the Nats, but it's been an interesting one for the Pirates as well. They're coming into the series with the Nats losing six straight. 
Um, and they've had a lot of wild things happen to them, whether it's the rundown with Javi Baez, um, Key Brian Hayes missing first first base, or the triple on the routine ground ball to short. It's been pretty interesting. But what can Nats fans expect in this series facing the Pirates? What do they excel at, and what's something they are currently really struggling at right now? You know, I mean, um, I, I don't want to sound like that guy, but there's a long list of stuff that this team's struggling with right now. And, um, <laughs> you know, I think people, um, you know, people watch the Pirates or see little, um, you know, bits and pieces on Twitter, of course. <laughs> you know, the Will Craig play was, was uh, blown up. Javier Baez got in a rundown from home to first. And the dude, you know, there's two outs. All he has to do is step on the bag and it ends the inning. They scored two runs on the play. Um, you know, that's just kind of been the season it's been for the Pirates so far. I think there's, there's a lot of high points, though, and this is something we talk about a lot at Round Buncher. Um, you know, this team is rough, and this team, you know, probably wins 65, maybe 70 games, and you're feeling good, uh, but they don't, you know, they don't have to. This team isn't going to, these aren't the guys that are going to be around in 2022, 2023, when they're really trying to contend. Um, you know, so it's, it's kind of slapped together. I think if you're a Nationals fan, you know, you're also sitting at the bottom right now but this is an opportunity to you know to gain some ground back um, in the NL East which is a really weird division kind of like the NL Central this year too say the strengths um, you know just just the youth you look at a guy like Cabrian Hayes he did not step on first base a couple weeks ago which um, you know just kind of added to all of it but uh, he really is a talented youngster one of the best defensive third basemen the Pirates have had probably my entire lifetime Um, and just you know just an all-around five-tool kind of guy I mean the dude is so athletic Brian Reynolds, too, and, um, you know, he was one of the guys that came over in the Andrew McCutcheon trade. Really fun player to watch. Pitching staff, I, you know, that's, that's kind of a low point, if you look at it. The bullpen's been awesome. I mean, this bullpen has been so much better than, you know, we really thought it was going to be. and was so much better than it was last year. But, uh, you know, the starting pitching has been rough. It's, it's definitely been rough. It's been inconsistent. I believe it's um, JT Brubaker coming on uh, tomorrow night, and it'll be um, – Tyler Anderson in game two, yep, and then to close it out in game three, I think it might be Chad Cool. I'll have to look at all that. But, um, you know, some some rough uh, starters for the Pirates. It's been really inconsistent. You guys, I know, keep up with the Braves a good bit. Went down there a couple weeks ago, lost that game, um, game two of that series, 20-1. to one. So, you know, there's been struggles all over. The offense has struggled. The defense has struggled. But overall, it's not about this year. It's about what they're building, and, um, you know, they're really building something special. And I think that's that's something that not a lot of people – I've looked into this new GM, this new regime, everything else. Um, you know, they're really building something here. Yeah, I mean, they. I know I saw the prospect they got from the uh, Jameson Taylor trade um, is doing real well. Not enough people are talking about that, but um, I'm actually doing a franchise and it'll be the show with the Pirates, and their pitching is making me really sad because it is work to get this pitching turned around. But as you mentioned, uh, JT Brubacher is pitching tomorrow. Um, after his first seven starts, he had a 2.58 ERA. He hit a little bit of a bump. He's given up 15 in his past four starts. Do you think this is a perfect match for him where he can get things going again against an offense that's second to last runs per game that scored three runs in three games before they scored five today against the Giants? Or do you think he's going to continue struggling again as he pitches on Monday? You know, JT's a weird guy. And, um, you know, you, you talk about that James entire trade. Awesome trade. And I'm sure we'll get into Josh Bell here at some point. Um, but, you know, JT's the kind of guy that can come out and give you six really good innings. And you're, you're thinking, wow, this kid, you know, just a kid. I, I say that I, I believe he's still in his lower 20s. I think he's only 22 years old. You, you look at him and you're like, wow, this kid's really something. He's got the stuff. Um, you know, he can deliver you length, if nothing else. 
but you know, there's other starts like that start in Atlanta where he comes out and um, you know, just, just doesn't have it. And it really, I think for JT, he's one of those guys that lives and dies on, on just a few pitches. I mean, he's never going to be the dude that walks three batters in a row and then, you know, maybe gets a strikeout and allows a gapper or something like that. He's the kind of guy that, you know, gives you three really good innings and then comes out and maybe walks a guy and then there's a home run and, you know, now he's losing his start. So, you know, inconsistency has been the biggest thing. And that's everybody on this staff. There's really not one guy you look at and you think, you know, wow. And Tyler Anderson was that guy, the pitcher there in game two. He was that guy for a little bit, but, um, you know, they've all struggled. Mitch Keller was supposed to be the pitcher of the future for this team. And he, um, you know, he's back down in AAA and that's not due to injury or anything else. So, uh, you know, it's, it's the starters are probably, you know, our least favorite part of this team right now, but, JT on the other side of that could come out and, and you know, give you a really good start. I think for Nats fans, it, it's going to be, um, you know, it's going to be an exciting series. This is, a, this is a chance to kind of bounce back after some struggles here. For the Pirates, it, it's the same thing. I mean, this team for as inept as they've looked at times and, you know, as bad and bloopery as they've been. And, uh, you know, sorry about your MLB The Show team. I know it's, um, it's a struggle. I got Juan Soto on mine, so I appreciate you guys. <laughs> uh, but, you know, they, they've really – they've shown some strengths at times. And against the Rockies, took two out of three, probably could have swept that series, probably could have swept the uh, the Marlins last weekend. I mean, you know, there's there's been some high points, but, um, you know, it, it's just so inconsistent. We really don't know what we could get tomorrow. We could get a great Pirates team, or we could get that Pirates team that lost 20-1 to 1 down there in Atlanta. You, you know, this is Monty here, by the way. It's funny that you mentioned that we're talking about JT Brubaker and his struggles because uh, Ryan just the other day was messaging me about his show franchise and was talking about how Brubaker might be a future ace for him. Um, <laughs> but um, speaking of the starting pitching, we uh, traded you guys Will Crow, and he's made a bunch of starts for you guys. How's he doing? <laughs> yeah, you know, Will Crow is one of those guys I wanted to talk about. Um, and, you know, ace... Maybe, Ryan. I, I don't know about JT Brubaker as an ace. I, 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 wouldn't, I would shop it, you know, try it out there on the virtual side of things. Um, but, you know, Will Crow is one of these guys that, when, when we saw that name um, in the trade, was, you know, kind of the second piece in that deal. And Eddie Yeen, as you guys I'm sure know, was the focus. He was the main prospect that they got back in the Josh Bell trade. But, um, you know, Will Crow was a guy we were really excited about because he was somebody they could plug in right away and we could really, you know, get an idea of what the return was going to be like for some of these trades. And, you know, I don't know about you guys, that trade couldn't have broke at a worse time. It was Christmas Eve, you know, getting everything ready. I'm, I'm the worst Christmas shopper in the world. You know, I'm going out to the mall probably that afternoon, getting the notification like, oh, my God, we're going to have to, you know, go back recording up the emergency episode, whatever else, whatever else. But, um, you know, that trade you look back on, I think it's going to end up being one of the better, the better moves in, in the long run just to get that really solid starter of the future. Eddie Yeen has a lot of promise, which kind of opens up some things when you talk about the draft and, and who they're going to try to sign internationally. Eddie Yeen's going to be a really talented pitcher in the system. Will Crow, you know, Will Crow, um, I think has some upside, but overall I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sold. It's a conversation. We have a lot uh, on our show at Rum Bunter and you know, at times Will Crow's looked really good um, and is, is, had two or three starts that you're like, wow, this kid could be a, a back-end starter at some point, maybe a five, maybe he comes out of the bullpen. Uh, but like they were talking about today on our broadcast, you know, you, you still haven't seen that effort where he goes five, where he goes six, where he can really give you some innings. The stuff is there, and, and that's never really been a problem. But, um, you know, just the distance and, and the durability of JT, I mean, of uh, Will Crow to this point is, 
hasn't been ideal. Um, but, you know, he's one of those guys I think they continue to work with. And that's, that's the thing you love about this team. There's so many guys they can just kind of plug in and try out. Because at the end of the day, this team isn't very good. And, you know, there's really no other end result than fifth in the NL Central. And, um, you know, you don't want to be complacent with that. But it does give you the opportunity to, to try guys out like Will Crow at this level. Yeah, I mean, those are a lot of the frustrations we had with Will every time he came up here. Um, I think there was a time where he didn't go past three innings in the start. Um, so it was pretty frustrating with him. But so you talked about how you think the trade's going to pan out. What was your original reaction when you saw that Josh Bell was traded? Like when you saw the prospect return, when you saw Josh was coming to D.C., what was your thought process on that trade? You know, the timing was weird. That was my first thought. It was like, okay, well, you know, you didn't trade him in the offseason when the value was probably a little bit higher. And, you know, you're trading him at a time where um, not, not too many big trades go down as far as return goes. And we were a little bit worried, I think, at first when we, when we saw the names come back. It was like, this is, you know, your three-hole hitter in Pittsburgh right now. This is a guy that we've seen absolutely tear the cover off the ball. I mean, you know, first half of 2019, the dude was the best hitter in baseball. So, you know, it, it, was, um, it was a jolt at first because that was one of the guys that we didn't necessarily think would be around for this rebuild or – you know, be, be a key piece in 2023 or 2024, whenever this team's looking right. Um, but, you know, that's somebody that was, was kind of the leader in Pittsburgh. So you wanted the return to be great. He was probably your, your biggest trade piece. Um, and, you know, at first, I didn't really know much about Will Crow. We had heard about Eddie Yeen, and, um, you know, those guys are really all of our staff over at Run Bunch are incredible baseball minds, and they, you know, they're on it. They, they study um, anybody that, that the Pirates are considering anything else. So they were able to give some insight right away, and you know, watching the tape, kind of reading this story, it's like, wow, this kid Eddie Ian could really, um, really come onto the scene earlier than a lot of the guys. And that's the thing, like, you know, you don't want to trade Josh Bell for a guy that, um, you know, can come in and pitch right away. Like, the Nationals never would have traded as Patrick Corbin for Josh Bell, but let's say that was the deal. It, it really wouldn't make a lot of sense for Pittsburgh because you're just trading a major league ready guy for another major league ready guy. Eddie Ian is young. He's, he's really young. But, um, you know, you look at it and it's like, wow, he could be up by 2023. And, you know, he's still 21 at that point uh, and, and is able to give you maybe a decade or whatever. I know that's typically not the trend in Pittsburgh. They don't stick around too often. But, um, you know, it was really, I think, seeing that big top 10 prospect, a youngster come back was huge. And, um, you know, seeing both sides to Josh Bell, knowing that he can be a great hitter and he can be awesome um but you know also knowing that he, he struggles at the plate sometimes and he is a switch hitter but he's significantly better from one side and isn't great defensively I think it, that's really what it came down to is um you know he's just going to make you too many errors at first base and, and he's really not right for this team what was your guys thoughts of I've, <laughs> I've been trying to you know ask as many Nationals fans as possible because that one really did feel like it was you know the guy uh leaving Pittsburgh there yeah I mean I think Monty and I both can agree though for one thing you guys can't take patrick corbin by the way like if, if you want to take patrick corbin it is not too yeah. late to do that <laughs> yeah we are happy <laughs> on the mlb 2k21 ranks or 2k20 even uh mlb the show 20 rather that is a guy on that game oh my goodness dirty stuff but uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, only if you could do it in real life <laughs> um but yeah like when i when i saw the trade mike rizzo likes to make moves on christmas eve he's done those before I thought it was pretty interesting that the Pirates traded him at his lowest value-wise. Um, I thought they would keep on to him, see what happens this year, and I was pretty excited about it. I thought he was going to be the four guy, and of course he comes here and hasn't been the best start. He has gotten a little bit hotter lately, but 
it's just not been going well. And in Pittsburgh, I know a lot of people call him Tinkerbell because he always changes with the swings. How often did he have these stretches where he would just not be able to, you know, hit a baseball, save his life, and all of a sudden he's going to start tearing it up? How long did these downswings usually last with Josh Bell when he was in Pittsburgh? To be honest with you guys, and I know this is something that, uh, you know, Nats fans may not want to hear, but it's really, I don't think, too big of a red flag. I think we saw more of the Josh Bell that we're seeing now and that we saw last season, really for his whole career. It was pretty much that one stretch, first half of 2019, where he just absolutely dominated the baseball. And really when he came up to, um, you know, hitting 600 for his first three weeks, that was, I think that was two flashes in the pan for Josh Bell. And that's not to say that he's going to, you know, I think he's hitting 216 right now, 214. He's not going to do that his, his entire stint in D.C. I think, you know, he's the kind of guy that hits somewhere in the 240s, 250s, probably hits you 20 to 25 bombs, drives in 70, 75. And that's, you know, you live with that if you're D.C. You don't maybe love that you traded a, a top 10 prospect and another guy that you could have gotten something out of at the big league level. But I think Josh Bell, you know, is what he is. And, and he, he is sometimes more consistent than, you know, other times in his career. We've been able to, to track that pretty well, um, you know, with the analytics and everything else. But overall, I think you're going to get a, a pretty relatively tame hitter, you know, not a guy that um, is going to be the, the three or four hole hitter, but a guy that you can plug in at six. And, you know, hopefully if the defense comes along, that's really all the Nationals are going to need out of them. I mean, I love your lineup at the end of the day. You look at Juan Soto as the heartbeat of it, and, you know, you still got a lot of experience on that team. And I think Trey Turner is probably the most underrated player in all of baseball right now. So, you know, Josh Bell, I think when they made that trade, they wanted him to come over, be that guy that could maybe be your cleanup um, hitter, maybe even a five-hole hitter in that lineup. And he's not necessarily going to give you that, but I don't think it's too much reason to work. He's going to give you a lot of consistency and, you know, drive you in at least, I would say, at a minimum, you know, 15, 20 home runs a year. Yeah, uh, when we got him, I was excited, but, but basically I was I was really excited based on what we traded for him. I didn't think we gave up, you know, top top prospects. I know Eddie Yeen's pretty great, but um, Will Crow had just not quite uh, gotten it for us. And, and being a team that's trying to be competitive, I didn't think Will Crow would really make it for us. So I, I was excited about the trade um, for what we gave up, but I had some concerns about Josh Bell, and I like him, like you said, as like a five or six, but you know, plugging him in at the four and having him be the protection for Soto is a, is a little tough, but um, I imagine you miss seeing his power in Pittsburgh a little bit. Oh, no doubt, man. I mean, lefty power in Pittsburgh is so fun to watch. You get the short porch out there in right field, you know, every now and then somebody can lift it into that river. So, um, you know, lefty power, especially a guy that, you know, it was another one of those guys that had been through the system and, and had dealt with injuries in the minors, a guy that, we had really been waiting on for, you know, the better half of um, the, the 2010s to come up. And, you know, he comes up near the end of it and, and really looks good. That was the thing, too. It's not like he came up and, you know, bumbled around and, and didn't live up to the hype right away. He really, you know, he came up and was awesome uh, there at the, the back end of 2016. And then, you know, has a really, really good first half that, that one season. And you're thinking, okay, this is, this is a guy that, that can be your heartbeat. And, um, you know, he was certainly a, a player that was missed right away. It still is missed in Pittsburgh, by all means. Um, and, you know, he's not one of those players that you think, oh, well, you know, you, you don't want to have him go out and have success in D.C., whatever. And, you know, it's a great point, too, about Will Crow. That probably isn't somebody that you maybe get a ton out of right now. And it's, it's somebody the Pirates can kind of use as a placeholder here 
Um, but, you know, it's sad. And there's a lot of guys that, that the Pirates have had to tell goodbye over the last five years. I mean, you think about, you know, Andrew McCutcheon was the start of it. Then Garrett Cole goes and it's Starling Marte hits the road. And, you know, even before that, the Neil Walkers and all those guys that had really been there for, for winning because, you know, I'm 20, 22 years old now. And the Pirates have had uh, three winning seasons in my lifetime and have made the playoffs three times. So, um, you know, to, to have to tell a lot of those guys goodbye was difficult. And Josh Bell was kind of the end of that little stretch. Hopefully, you know, you're, you're looking at it in 2023 and you're thinking, wow, Eddie Yeen is our ace on this, you know, NLCS team or whatever else. But, um, you know, it's tough. It's never easy to tell a player like that goodbye for sure. Yeah, and but but we're happy to have them. It's just we're we're hoping, uh, you know, not maybe not as the protection uh, for Soto, but more, you know, the 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 third RBI guy. But anyway, um, the big question we want to start, we want to transition to now is the big question everyone's asking as we uh, over the next month or so as we approach the MLB draft. Who are the Pirates taking number one, and why is it not Jack Leiter? <laughs> Oh, man, this is, uh, you know, this is probably the most fun conversation you can have as a Pirates fan right now. Uh, there's just, it, it's such a crazy race. And, you know, you guys being huge Nationals guys, and, and I'm assuming most of the people listening to this podcast are really into the Nationals. You remember back to Steven Strausberg, and, and there was a clear-cut guy. Uh, that, that's not the case this year. And that's what looked, I think that's been the toughest part. It really looked like there was that guy. You remember Kumar Rocker? About a year ago right now, it's like if the Pirates don't take Kumar Rocker, I mean, you know, what are they doing? Fire everybody, whatever else. And, you know, then Jack Leiter comes onto the scene and you're like, oh, my goodness, this is, you know, a smaller Kumar with better stuff and a better location. And then, you know, in the last even two months, I would say, you really start to hear the high school names come along. I, I lean a different way than my, uh, than my co-host Nick Caparoso and Marty Leap. And this is a, a conversation that definitely gets heated, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, Stay on my ground here. I think Jack Leiter is the best prospect available. He's a guy that you can bring up in 2023 even, and he can give you great innings, great starts right away. I, I love these high school kids. I love these high school kids. I think Jordan Lawler is probably the best shortstop prospect we've had in the last two, three seasons. Uh, Marcelo Meyer is, is unbelievably talented, and even Brady House has kind of come onto the scene here. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I don't think there's – there's anything that can measure up to the ability to, to make an impact right away. And Jack Leiter is going to be that guy, no matter where he pitches. The biggest, I guess, red flag when it comes to the pitchers, Kumar and Jack, that is, everybody wants to talk about how, oh, you know, look at Jameson Tyone. And, you know, it took him eight years to get to the bigs. He had two Tommy Johns, whatever else. What if that happens again? Then one of the high school kids is, you know, would have been in the major leagues, whatever. You can't, you can't play the what if game. And the way it is nowadays, you know, new pitching coach, new minor league pitching director. I mean, this is a this is a different front office. This is just a completely different regime. I don't think you can look to the past and maybe say, oh, well, because of Jameson Tyone, we can't draft the Jack Leiter. I think that's ridiculous. That's the main argument, though, and I get it. You know, you think about a Jordan Waller, Marcelo Meyer, they probably come up in 2024, 2025. And that's, you know, that's kind of the lean now. I think you look at most mock drafts. It's looking like Marcelo Meyer is going to be the pick. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think – I just think you got to take Jack Leiter. And, um, you know, it's been really fun to kind of watch the front office release bits of information. They actually came out with something today talking about how they're not going to draft for need. They're drafting best player available. And, you know, I think that, that kind of statement tells you, go get Jack Leiter. What do you guys think, though? 
I so want I'm, him and Rocker to fall to eleven. So that's all I gotta say. <laughs> yeah, I've I if I I gotta take later. I gotta go with you know he's got the he's got the pedigree with you know his father and uncle, um, major league pedigree, and he's got the stuff. Uh, to me, he's the best player available. But what I'm hearing is is the Pirates have. Are, are are moving away from him because of 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 price and they that's why they're looking as much like much more at the high school players yeah yeah i've heard a little bit of that too and um you know this is going to be a really interesting draft because this is the first time that ben sherrington is getting a true draft and obviously his first number one overall pick too so you know it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to see how he works with bob nutting and, and what they decide to do with the money but, um, you know, I think while you have the number one pick, you have to kind of go all out here. And hopefully that wouldn't be the reason. You know, it would be the most typical thing ever to, to go on Twitter and read, oh, well, the Pirates decided they didn't want to spend the money on Jack Leiter. You would hope that they would figure something out, um, you know, to make that signing possible. Uh, you know, even if it's not as good of a financial decision as a Jordan Lawler or Marcelo Meyer. But, um, you know, that, that really could be what it comes down to. And at the end of the day, you know, we've had this conversation a lot, and it always ends with, no matter what happens, if they take Marcelo Meyer, Jordan Lawler, Jack Leiter, Kumar, whoever they take, it's not going to be the right choice right away. And, you know, we're going to have to wait and see who really pans out, because Twitter's going to go crazy. You know, Twitter's going to say, oh, well, it should have been Kumar, it should have been Marcelo, whatever. Um, and, you know, this front office is going to just kind of have to have to wait and see. But I think with a Jack Leiter, you don't have to wait as long. And I think there's just such a, there's such a high floor, if nothing else. You talk about the ceiling on the other guys. Yeah. They probably have a higher ceiling, but Jack Leiter's floor is just so high. I mean, there's, there's really barring any kind of injury. There's no way you go wrong with that pick, but um, you know, it would be typical pirates to go, to go the cheap route here again. So I think I speak for everyone involved with the pirates. When I say pass on lighter and rocker, and everyone after them needs to because I'm still mad the Nats won three meaningless games to go from the fourth pick to the 11th pick. I don't want to talk about it. But transitioning back to the series a little bit, um, so I just want to get your prediction on the series. And if the Pirates are to win the series, what would you say went right for them and what players made that difference for the Pirates to take two or three from the Nats this week? You know, this series is going to be a lot of fun um, for Pirates fans and for Nats fans. I mean, you know, we've been kind of going through a rough stretch here. Just got done with the Dodgers, the Braves, whatever. Milwaukee, you know, um, was this previous series. But it's really going to kind of depend on, on Colin Moran, I think. He went out today, uh, still waiting on an update on how serious that is. If he returns, I think he's going to make an impact in this series. And kind of guys like that. Eric Gonzalez has been playing shortstop most days. See Philip Evans come back to our lineup. I think those those three right there, Gonzalez, um, Evans, and Moran, could really make the biggest impact. But, you know, Cabrian Hayes is going to be Cabrian Hayes. This kid is still coming onto the scene, which is crazy. He's on an 18-game uh, hit streak now. The dude is just tearing the cover off of it. I don't know if you guys remember. He had to miss some time back. It's actually game two in, in Chicago. Broke his wrist um, and wasn't able to return until about two weeks ago. So he's still working back into it. Uh, but, it's, you know, it's just playing – his tail off, still eligible for Rookie of the Year. So that's going to be a fun one to watch. I think if the Pirates win this series, uh, you know, you're talking about JT Brubaker and you're going, wow, okay, here we go again. Uh, you know, you're looking at Tyler Anderson. You're feeling good about um, his start. And then, you know, you kind of see what happens in game three. For the Pirates right now, more than even, you know, looking at it game to game, win-loss, you're looking at, well, well how well is Adam Frazier doing? You know, how, how much is his 
uh, trade stock gone up? How well is Tyler Anderson doing? Richard Rodriguez, these type guys. But, you know, for as bad as this team is and for as, you know, dramatic people, as dramatic as people want to be about it on Twitter and whatever else, there's some players on this team. And if, if nothing else, they play together. They play together pretty much every time they, uh, they win a ball game. So you'll see that if they come out victorious this week. But, um, you know, for the Nationals, I think it's, it's just going to be about kind of getting their consistency back. I know you guys have struggled to score a little bit here recently. Won't have a problem with that uh, <laughs> this week against the Pirates. But, um, you know, it's going to be a fun one. I'm really excited to see this. You know, you'd be surprised. We'll see if we start, if we, we can find ways to struggle to score against anybody. So <laughs> we'll see. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, the Nats have struggled uh, to start off this year. I believe through 60 games, we had the same record uh, this year that we did last year when we were way out of it. And, and Nationals fans are, are not used to that. And so, you know, as, as a, somebody who's following a team that's not been competitive for a little while, What's your advice for enjoying a baseball team that's not necessarily putting out a good product day in and day out? You know, just enjoy the struggle. I mean, it's, um, you know, it's tough. It's tough right now. And I live in South Carolina, actually. So really the only time I get to go see them play is in Atlanta. And, uh, you know, you get bullied down there. Those fans aren't, aren't too kind. I'm sure you guys know about that. They're, uh, they're not too friendly on you. So, you know, just kind of soaking that all in, really. Watching your team struggle makes the winning so much more fun, I think. And, that's something as Pirates fans, we deal with a lot. And, uh, you know, we've kind of had to become accustomed to. Um, but, you know, when the Andrew McCutcheons come along and, you know, the top prospects, you know, make their debut, it, it's just so exciting to think about kind of the process and, you know, w- the way that they've rebuilt. This rebuild has been really, um, you know, dedicated to getting bulk, if nothing else. They've, they've had a lot of right-handed pitching and really just a lot of middle infield. They've kind of been trying to stack up guys to uh, – to try out the best option. And I think kind of watching these trades go down and watching these prospects come in and, you know, seeing how they perform right away. That that's, that's what keeps it fun. It sucks watching them go out there, you know, be up two to one today and, and bring in a guy like Clay Holmes, who just isn't, isn't capable of pitching in the big league level. Sometimes allowing a three run bomb and losing the game. That sucks. I mean, losing sucks. It's never easy, but at the end of the day, um, you know, in 2023, 2024, uh, and I'm, I'm optimistic about these years. It could, be, it could be later than that. But when you're watching your team start to have some success, turn the corner and, um, you know, compete for the division, that's what makes it fun. Just thinking about what could happen with the guys right now. Um, but, you know, it's, it's definitely a struggle at times. Oh, yeah, for sure. I find, I find uh, the self-deprecation and, the, and some of the humor. And you just, you just, at some point, you just got to stop being so frustrated and just laugh a little bit. Because otherwise, you're just going to be very, very, very sad all the time. Oh, exactly. Exactly, man. I mean, it, you know, it's tough going for a team like this, but honestly, the, some of the threads on Twitter that you see just, they, they just make you laugh. Cause it's like, wow, this is uh, you know, you're in a tough spot right now. And people, I don't think understand the full process of a rebuild and, you know, the fact that it takes time and, and, you know, you don't want to lose right now, but at the end of the day, sometimes you have to lose. If the pirates had won two more games, they wouldn't have the number one pick. So it sucked losing, uh, you know, what ended up being 41 games last year. But if they lose 39, then, you know, you're in a worse spot. So, um, you know, just, just kind of living in it. Yeah, I mean, like I said, we, we won three meaningless games, went from number four to number 11 pick, and I am very, very salty about it. Um, just a couple more questions before we wrap up here. Um, 
are there days when you just you're watching the pirates and something really just bad happens and you're like yeah you know what i'm just i'm not gonna go on twitter because there's things that they do when everyone is just going in on them and like I feel like as a fan, like at some point, maybe you get used to it. But I feel like at first I would just be like, yep, nope, not going on Twitter, not not seeing what everyone's saying about that. <laughs> oh, man, you know, I, for a while, that was kind of my idea. Like, hey, you know, just try to avoid it. I mean, it's not worth it to go on there and get in an argument with users 7,438 for 30 minutes about, you know, this pointless play at first base. But, um, you know, I really sometimes I can't avoid it, to be honest with you, gentlemen. I don't know about your friends, but. Mine love getting on Instagram or Twitter or whatever else, tagging me and this, that, you know, posting everything on their stories, uh, you know, just trying to, trying to embarrass those Pirates fans out there. But, um, you know, we've become, like I said, we've become pretty accustomed to, to some of the stuff that goes on on a daily basis. And, um, you know, it's, it's really part of the fun because sometimes as Pirates fans, there's really just nothing you can do but sit there and, and toss your hands up and be like, wow, right now this team sucks. But, but like I said, that word right now, those two words right now, are so important because this team is this rebuild is headed in the right direction. But as you know, as far as Twitter goes, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it can get pretty brutal sometimes. Thankfully, those guys, Marty and Nick, are, are pretty good at, at using our rump on Twitter to kind of get back at some people. But um, you know, tw- uh, Pirates Twitter is is tight knit, so we uh, we all got each other's backs. <laughs> so one of the really important topics on our podcast is the debate about DH. Or no DH. Um, I am very big on Universal DH. I'm very excited it's coming. Um, a couple others on our podcast are against Universal DH. So I want to hear your opinion on it. Are you pro DH or are you anti-fun? <laughs> uh, well phrased there. Well phrased. Um, you know, I, I personally lean with you, Ryan. I, I think at the end of the day, you go to the ballpark to watch the best baseball players in the world do what they're really good at. And watching a pitcher hit, you know, that's not as strong. So nobody wants to sit there and watch that. Some pitchers, yeah, it's entertaining. It can be fun. You know, you see even like the Bartolo Colones get up there, hit a bomb every now and then. You're like, wow, this is awesome. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, I think it just changes the game when you have a pitcher come up, there's the bases loaded and two outs, and, you know, you know, we're doomed. There's nothing that can, uh, that can happen here. And I think the biggest counterargument to the University H is, is the strategy element. Yes, it, you know, it really changes the way we use pinch hitters and, the way we work in our bullpen. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, there's a lot of strategy that, that goes into having the DH as well. You know, where do you use them? Which players do you, do you put in the field? You know, how do you use your pinch hitters and your bench pieces now? And, you know, when it comes to your bullpen, it, it just kind of changes things. I don't know if it makes it easier, but it, it makes it different on the way you manage your bullpen. You know, now it doesn't, you're not almost not forced to make a decision. Like sometimes, you know, there might be a really hard call on, do I leave this guy in? Do I not? If he comes up to bat, your decision's made easy, you know, take him out, whatever. If he's not forced to bat, then it really, uh, you know, is a, is a more pressing one on you. So, you know, there's strategy involved either way. I think um, this is never going to be an argument that everybody's going to agree on, but for a while, Monty, I don't know how you feel, um, but for a while I was in that belief on, uh, you know, this is, this is dumb, you know, baseball needs to stay traditional and, we got to do everything like this, uh, whatever. But after that 20, I think it was 2018 season, we went out to Houston and um, we took two out of three from the Astros in a series we had no business in. And what really won us that series was putting Colin Moran as our DH could stick, stick him right in the six hole. Uh, it, it, you know, it just changes your lineup. And I think it, it really gives you that extra boost. Um, and it's, it's just more fun to watch at the end of the day. I mean, nine hitters, 
no pitcher coming up to slow things down. It's, um, you know, it's just a different type of game. But, yeah, I've, I've, I've definitely fully made the, uh, the switch here to the Universal DH. Absolutely love to hear it. Monty's anti-DH. He likes the difference in the league, but we'll, we'll get him over it once it's, once it's in the NL next year. Um, well, Trey, want to thank you for taking time out of your day coming on. Um, hopefully it's a good series. Um, I feel like it's, you know, two teams who aren't playing very well right now going head to head. So who knows what's going to happen. Um, and once again, that's Trey Yannity, host of the Rum bunter radio you guys can find them on twitter at trey yanity and make sure you guys follow rum bunter on twitter as well to keep up with everything pirates trey thank you so much man take care thank you guys thanks for having me on it's been great yep of course man once again thank you so much to trey for joining us it was a fantastic talking about you and hopefully it's a good series yeah so that's a good segue. What are your expectations for the series? So here's the thing. The Pirates suck. Okay, like, I cannot... Here's the thing. Not to put too fine a point on it. No, like, <laughs> I cannot stress it enough how bad the Pirates are, okay? The Pirates are not a competitive team. They do not have competitive pitching. You see them every single day making errors no MLB team should make. This is not a good team. This is a team you 110% have to sweep. You have to sweep this team. If you guys are going to keep telling us, oh, we're almost there, stay with us, we're going to turn this around, you have to beat this team. And why is this so important right now? Because you're seven and a half back of the Mets. You're four and a half back of the Phillies. You're two and a half back of the Braves. Well, the Braves have the Red Sox. And then they play the Cardinals. The Phillies have the Dodgers. And then they play the Giants all on the West Coast. The Mets, they have a four-game set with the Cubs before you play them. Everyone ahead of you in the division has a playoff team that they're facing right now. You have the worst team in baseball. You have to take advantage of it, and you have to sweep them. You cannot afford to take just two out of three. You have to take all three. Get yourself to five games under 500. And then you have divisional games, and that's where you'll see where you are. If you're truly a good team, like you guys keep insisting you are in the media, you will sweep this team. My expectation, I want to sweep. I feel like knowing this team, they're going to find a way to botch a game, and they'll take two or three. Um, but yeah. yeah, that was my prediction, too, that they'll take two or three. But you're 100% yeah. correct. This should be a sweep. If I don't care who you are. If you're any team that's not the Pirates, you should sweep the Pirates. And that's not. It's not meant to be an insult. I understand the pirate. Like, I'm sorry if you're a Pirates fan. That's hard. That's a hard life choice that you've made. But they, <laughs> for real, but they should really sweep this team. And if you can't, then, you know, Schwarber today at the end of his Zoom conference, at the, it was like, oh, stay with us. This is a good team. You'll see or whatever it is exactly that he said. Well, you better prove it because if you can't, if you can't sweep the Pirates, you're not a good team. It's as simple as that. Yeah, there's, there's no other way around it. You have to sweep this team. Like, yeah. And if, like you said, if the Mets have a terrible weekend or the Braves or the Phillies have, you know, a rough go where they only take one or they get swept, all of a sudden things, can, that's one of the things I love about baseball. We did our baseball things draft recently. I love the fact that one or two series can change everything. Yeah. Like this should be a, a time where you get the worst team in baseball 
and your divisional opponents get some of the best teams in baseball, this is this is your opportunity to make up some ground. And we've been saying all season, oh, somebody's going to run away with this division. Well, nobody really has yet. And if you can get yourself close enough that they really can't still and keep, you know, limping this thing along and you're not really out of it, then <laughs> two things. One is they're not going to sell the deadline, which will probably be a mistake. But, you know, I distinctly remember, I know this annoys the crap out of you, Ryan, but I distinctly remember having a conversation around this time last in the 2019 season where we were like, they're not going to play 600 baseball between now and the end of the year. And that's what it would take to win this division or to get into the playoffs. And of course they did. Now there's myriad reasons why this is not the same team as we had in 2019. But it's one of those things where at this point to win 90 games, I think you have to play 600 baseball. <laughs> and if you're going to do it, you better start with the freaking Pirates. Yeah. Um, now, they, the Mets said the Grom is not going to miss a start. So if he doesn't miss a start, that's great news. You don't face Jacob DeGrom this weekend because if you did, that's a Sharpie loss. As you're saying, Amanda, no one's really pulling away this division. The Mets are starting to, right? Yeah, seven and a half games is a big lead. Yes. Um, like I said, they, they're slowly starting to pull away with the division. The Phillies kind of got back close to them, sweeping the, um, the Yankees. They made up a game on them this weekend. The Mets had the biggest lead in, in baseball of all divisions. The Mets are starting to do that. The Mets are slowly starting to pull away because they're slowly starting to get healthier. You have to take advantage of this and take advantage of the fact that you're going to miss Jacob DeGrom this weekend because after the Pirates, sorry, I'm just, I'm just pulling up their schedule. So you have the Pirates, you go Mets, Phillies, four against the Marlins, one game against the Red, the Mets, and then you go Rays, Dodgers, Padres, Giants, Padres. That is a absolute brutal 20-game stretch. Mm-hmm. You have to take advantage of these. You have to sweep the series, sweep the series, see what happens with the division. Just see what happens because the fate of this team is probably going to be there. If you're as good as you keep saying you are, you win this division, you win this series, and you also beat the Mets. That's all I got to say. Well, color me skeptical, but I would like to see it. Is that that gift that I love? I would like to see it. I would like to see it. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Yes, I would like to see it. Like I said, I want to be wrong. All of my pessimism about the team right now, I want desperately to be wrong. So... Prove me wrong, Nats. All right. Um, I think that's it before our one big thing. What's your one big thing for the week? Yeah, you kind of started it. Prove me wrong, okay? I don't think this is a good baseball team. I think this is a 75-win team. I think this team season is over. Prove me wrong. I would. I want to come on this podcast and say I was wrong. You're 14 and 16 in your last 30. You're 17, sorry, yes, yeah, 17 and 23 since May 1st. You're not playing good baseball for the past month and a half. Prove me wrong. Figure it out. No reinforcements are coming. This is who you are. You're healthy. Strauss can't help you hit. Like, you got to figure it out. Prove me wrong. For love of everything, prove me wrong. Like, I want to be wrong. I, I'm, so much. <laughs> I'm never wrong. Okay, I will never in my life admit I'm wrong, but I am saying right now that I want to be wrong about this team because this team sucks. Okay, this is not a fun baseball team. Prove me wrong. Go on a damn win streak. 
when it's eight out of 10, when nine out of 10, like all these other teams are being able to do, they're putting themselves in great positions. I'm tired of this win one, lose two, win one, lose two, win two. Everyone's like, woo, and then you lose two, right? I'm tired of this 500 ball that you've been playing. Go on a damn streak and win the games. You have a good opportunity right now. Prove me wrong. That's it. I like it. That's a good one. My one big thing is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is so much fun. I am not a Blue Jays fan. I really have no strong feelings one way or the other about the Blue Jays. But damn, that kid is so much fun. After so today's good. game, he's he's batting 344, 450, 688. He's I gotta be in the in the AL MVP conversation at this point his ops right now is one one two three i mean come on this kid is unbelievable and i know that tatis gets all the attention but man guerrero jr might be my favorite player to watch right now i love him so there's not really anything to say so much it's just that that's my one big thing vlad guerrero jr is amazing he's so good i know he's so good and so fun and, and honestly, as much as I love, I love the Nats. I know I bitch and moan about them a lot. I love them so much. They're not fun to watch right now. Not fun. <laughs> but the good news is there's a lot of really, really fun young guys around the league. Yes. And as just a pure baseball fan, I, how can you not love Vlad? I don't know. It's just unbelievable. And the story and his dad, like the whole thing. I just love him so much. Yeah. I want I him agree. to be a national. Um, Max Scherzer for <laughs> Vlad Jr. Who says no? Not the Blue Jays. Oh. Not the oof. <laughs> yeah. Who says no? I think the Blue Jays say no. <laughs> I love Max, and I've been saying all along I wouldn't trade him. But if they said Vlad for Max, I'd be like, Max, it's been so fun, man. There we go. We finally found what the man that would do to trade them. Yeah, you did. If you offered straight up for Vlad Guerrero Vlad Jr. Jr. I, <laughs> yeah, I would do that. I would do that. All right. I think that's it. You got anything else? No. Um. Let's go sweep. Let's go sweep them. Let's go sweep those pirates. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We appreciate you, as always. Please make sure to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts so you always know when we post a new episode. Uh, make sure you check us out on Twitter. The show's handle is at Half Street High Heat, and the website is HalfStreetHighHeat.com. Uh, make sure you're checking that regularly. There's always you know preview articles, wrap-up articles, all kinds of good stuff. And uh, we'll talk in a couple days. There's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac A new team's mowing down the ranks of their opponents The Nationals are smashing balls so that the commentator Who has the calls has passed the wall to see you later Let's go Nats We've got a game to play We're gonna win today Let's go By the early light of dawn, well you can see they're running scared Cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are bursting in the air Tell the Library of Congress that they might not want to look Cause we're putting curly W's in every book Let's go Nats We've got a game to play, we're gonna win today Let's go Score, we're gonna win for sure. You
the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.